Hey guys, welcome to the latest in Dork and Beans. Today I feel like it's going to be a kind of mixed bag on a few different things. I have a sort of a weird parallel I was drawing between Malcolm in the Middle characters and Batman characters. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, as per usual, playing a little bit of Fortnite casually as we go through this because... They just introduced some new mode where it's like high stakes solo and, you know, everybody likes high stakes bingo, so you can go for that. I was doing a lot of comic reading this week, actually, and uh, one that I always go back to and I think is hilarious is the Mad Fraction Hawkeye series. It's, uh, I know a lot of people were sort of <clears throat> drawn in to that even if they weren't necessarily involved in a lot of other comics, just because it was such a great and uh, refreshing take on the character. It was kind of reinvigorating a character that the movie has excluded a little bit and made, um, well, prior to, I guess, Age of Ultron, but <clears throat> it was a character that was not very well defined. But it made him extremely likable, extremely fun, and very down-to-earth, very ground-level, um you know, street-level hero, and that's what's always been very endearing and lasting about Spider-Man. That's always been something with uh, Daredevil, a lot of the X-Men stories. When you have that sort of grounded, everyday realism with them, it makes the character a lot more, um, I don't know, obviously not just relatable, but just you can really divulge so much more from that experience than the extremely fantastical counterpart. But the Mad Fraction Hawkeye series, I think, I have like it gets a little confusing as to how many volumes it is because it switches artists and writers, um, I think twice significantly, and the tone completely changes and the story is only loosely based on its predecessing material, so um you get a little confused. And you probably could just read the first, I think it is three or four, and call it a day. Where it goes is still good, but it's very different, um, like thematically and artistically. But and a really good series. Was, I think I reread volume one and two, and uh, can't really say enough how great it is. The humor, humor is very hard to do in general. Humor is a, a hard art form, as I you know, sit here often struggling to make people laugh. That was a joke. So that's the point. But also, written humor is even harder because it has to be not only funny, but there's got to be some longevity there where you don't reread it and can roll your eyes at how cringy it is. But it's a very talented author and, for what it's worth, artist collaboration that's behind that series. So definitely check it out. Really funny. At the very least, there's a dog that eats pizza, and they call him Pizza Dog. So that's always a fan favorite. And you'll probably recognize the sort of mod, circular style of of art and panels that a lot of people have sort of commented on and spoofed. It's really good, though. Definitely check it out. DC has been, uh, I don't know, I continued with a lot of the Rebirth titles, and I'm just sort of finishing them now, so I don't really want to comment on that just yet. Not that that really matters, but it's more been uh, 
I was watching the Malcolm in the Middle recently because that is absolutely a fantastic show. I don't think anyone, uh, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it. I mean, some of the enjoyment is obviously a bit personal and subjective because as I was growing up, and there's a lot of people obviously that I know have watched it, have grown up feeling that it's it's relatable and you sort of age with the characters both, I don't know, in terms of, of morality and social structure, but also you you age with them literally and the actors and the family you know, progress like you do and move on to different schools and different life challenges. Really a good show. A kind of offbeat family sitcom when there weren't a ton of shows or outlets showing what actual realistic families were like. So it's, if your family was like anything, you know, off the tracks of normal, it was pretty enjoyable. And I think that appeals to a lot of people. So if you haven't, I would recommend watching it. But anyway, there are five kids. Four, I'll get into it. And we'll just say for now, five kids that they have in this show. And the kids are all extremely different. And they are extremely distinct in their mannerisms and I don't know the kind of people that they are. So the Wickerson family, by the way... Yeah, that's their last name. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good time. So the Wilkerson family has, as their oldest, Francis, who is the, he's the eldest son in, in that title aspect of that too. He's just the stoic oldest first son. They All the other brothers look up to him. The parents sort of look at him as almost like a peer, He's he's got a, a distinction to him, and when we see episodes of his life on that like German ranch and stuff, and military school, obviously he's he's got trials and tribulations. But especially compared to the rest of the family, I mean, he's pretty cool, and he's got a a good independent story of his own going. Then you have Reese. So Reese is kind of a shithead. He's like the oldest brother that lives in the house with them, but not actually the oldest brother, and he seems to think that he is. So he's kind of brash and abrasive, and he's like that teenager that would smell like way too much Axe body spray and like be sent to the principal's office for like bringing knives in his knapsack. Um, he's kind of dumb, but also he's, he's very loyal to the family, and there's like uh, several episodes that come to mind where he and Malcolm and Dewey get into some shenanigans, and he winds up... Uh, like coming to a heartful realization that family matters and so on and so forth. But generally a dick. Um, I think at the end of one of the later seasons, he's like in the army or he's a something to do with an army um, drill, like an army training thing. And he does phenomenally well. And they're like, I've never seen such a perfect soldier. So, I don't really remember if he winds up in the army, but that's something that he does as well. So then you have Malcolm. Malcolm is, uh, if you haven't figured out from the title, Malcolm Middle, Malcolm is the titular character who is the third son. And a lot of the show is from his perspective, his complaints, and in a few really confusing instances, him breaking the fourth wall and directly explaining to the audience. 
So Malcolm is very clever and not necessarily in like a, a genius IQ way, although he is in a gifted program at school, I will say, and he's quite smart. But he's very intelligent in his observations and his sort of wit and cynicism, especially when it's to do with his, his mom and his living situation. So Malcolm is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the time we're enjoying watching the uh, mishaps that he has to wade through, but he's a good guy and he sort of keeps it light. And then younger than him, the youngest for the longest time, and put an asterisk there for a second, is Dewey. So Dewey is um, this, uh, I'm really bad with kids' ages. I think we see him in the show from the age of like 6 to I guess like 13, 14 or thereabouts. He's um, quite smart, but we don't find this out until later. He's actually like a musical prodigy later, I believe, and he, uh, you know, he really comes into his own. But at the beginning, he's just the youngest, and and sort of everything that he does is defined by him being the youngest and having that claim and having that be something that's important to him. So he's he's a complicated character. He's a nice person, but also there's sort of that darkness to him and this like that meme that something time is now, old man. But uh, he's you know there's. There's some cynicism, I guess, and some jadedness that I guess growing up in that house kind of gave them. But Dewey is, is quite fun. And then, as I sort of alluded to, there's a confusingness at the end because they have uh, Jamie, who is a baby, I think. I never, I don't think you ever see him any older than that. So, <sighs> technically, yeah, there's that kid, and it frustrates me because of the comparison I'm trying to draw here, but... He really only comes in in like three out of the whatever, like 11 seasons, so I'm going to not necessarily count it. <laughs> the parallel I'm drawing is that these sons are extremely and oddly similar to the Robins, the Bat Sons from the Bat Family, and it is a kind of hilarious and striking parallel, because think about it for one moment. You have the eldest, who, as I said, Francis... I believe I described him as someone who has independent adventures, who's the favored son who battles his adversity and his time with the struggling home with humor and with uh, a smile the whole time. Well, that's Dick Grayson, son. That's a Nightwing right there. That's entirely uh, Nightwing's ammo. And yeah, I think even they're played by someone who looks identical because the guy looks like Neil Patrick Harris. And I know Neil Patrick Harris does the Nightwing voice in... At least under the Red Hood, but I think more than that in terms of movies. Um, so Reese, the uh, second son, the one that is the mischievous, trouble-prone asshole with violent tendencies, who is always ultimately loyal to his brothers and to the family, but is often the wayward and strayed son. Well, that's your Jason Todd through and through, so playing his day. That's the uh, black sheep right there. <coughs> Excuse me. So anyone that doesn't know me uh, that happens to be listening to this, I, I don't know what kind of numbers that is in general, but probably not good. So I'm a huge fan of the Red Hood, actually. Um, I On and off before he was sort of overhauled at the new 52 level, because 
I liked him for a while with the when he was rocking the dome and the the sort of red skull with fangs logo, but when he was rebirthed, so to speak, and he was given that bat stylized symbol and that storyline, I mean, I'm going to get into the Red Hood specifically in another episode because I'm going to talk at great length about him, but the point is when he was included in the family and he was given a, a, a redemption arc, I found it to be, as I'm sure the intention was, a very touching and, and motivating and inspiring character and a lot of depth there. So I have a bat symbol tattoo of my arm. I think it's like my Twitter display picture and it's more just, I designed it to be that symbol, that new 52 bat symbol, because that's, I mean, I've been reading Batman for a really long time, like 20 something years, but the series and the age that I sort of followed it in its, in its heyday and the sort of personal renaissance of comic love and buying for me was the new 52. So I've stayed on since then, but just was sort of the height of my comic power, so to speak. So I have that red hood symbol inside a bat symbol. And it's just very much a favorite character of mine. So I'll go into him later, but I can tell you from someone who fancies himself an expert, uh, there's a, there's a Reese Jason Todd parallel. This is quite fair. So Malcolm is the third son. Malcolm is the clever, witty intellectual who is as able to succeed in the world and make a living for himself as he is loyal and bound to the family. So Tim Drake is probably, in in pound-for-pound terms, the best Robin, because Tim Drake makes that discovery of who Batman is. He knows what he wants. He's after. He 100% is a driving force of his own. He's he's someone that knows Batman is Batman, and he doesn't necessarily need uh, an assistant. He needs an equal, and especially now with everything they deal with in Gotham, he needs someone that was the top of his game. So... Tim Drake, when he wears the Robin, is probably and has been the best Robin. That being said, I mean, I'm going to go into ranking the Robins after this, but what makes Tim Drake very special, though, is he really believes in family. So Tim Drake is the Robin who had waffles with uh, Jason Todd in Red Hood and the Outlaws. And if you haven't read or seen that uh, scene before, I really encourage you to look it up. But... I will go and talk at great length about Red Hood and the Outlaws, the comic, too, when I cover the Red Hoods. So um, when you have a character who's family-oriented like that in an environment like the Bat family, it's fantastic because they keep everything together. So Tim Drake, um, when he becomes Red Robin, I think that's a cool thing, but I think he rocked being at Robin. He was at a good time. It was a good time for comic book writing, too, so he really benefited from that a lot. But the point is, he's a smart, um, snarky, modern, young, um, family-driven, but also like very worthy in their own right character, and that's that's Malcolm and Malcolm in the Middle. He's you know, the, the flower growing from this pot of dirt. You know, everyone in his life is so shitty and, you know, his his opportunities are always squandered by his, like, ridiculous, selfish, and oafish family. And, like, everyone has has that moment where they, like, oh, curse my family. If they weren't so-and-so, I wouldn't, you know. It was, it was entertaining to watch him do that, but at the end of the day, he always was 
someone who cared about his family and wanted the best. And I think that's Tim Drake a lot too. So I think they're uh, worthy foils of each other. And as far as Dewey goes, this one, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, but I was thinking about it for a while. Dewey's whole situation is that he is the youngest and that's why the spotlight's on him. And Damian Wayne is not only the youngest, but he is the newest to this bat family, this vigilante enclave of of pointy-eared folks. And he has to make a name for himself, and he knows, you know, he's notorious in, in his own right. Obviously, his reputation is, for those who know Batman's son, or just those who know only Natalia al Ghul's son, or just that he's from the League of Assassins. I mean, he's obviously worthy of, of his name preceding him, but he's eager and fighty and energetic to prove himself. And Dewey, in a lot of ways, reflects that. Every opportunity he's given, he excels at, and he's, as I said earlier, a musical prodigy, and he's someone who is only really getting a seat at the table because he's the youngest or he's the newest addition. So for the first bulk of, of this show, the good parts anyway, that's where it's at. Again, they get uh, baby Jamie later, so I don't know, I'm going to say maybe that's like having one of the girl Robins. Um, like when people ask how many Robins there are and like people list up to that point. And I always throw Carrie Kelly in there because the Dark Knight Returns is, is glorious and I love it. And she's as deserving as anyone else to be Robin. So I will just say that, I guess. It doesn't really make sense for the argument, though. But that's some DC talk. Um, I had one Marvel kind of Infinity War theory that I wanted to share. It's not really a spoiler, I guess, because there's extremely low chances it's real in the slightest. If it is, I'm going to... I don't know, get one of those books on Amazon about Nostradamus and look into that. But I feel like in Infinity War 2 or Avengers 4 or whatever they're calling it, the next Avengers, I think that you're going to need, obviously, to pull in everyone you can. And that opens a lot of interesting possibilities. So whenever you have a global crisis and something on a catastrophic scale the best part about recruiting new people is everybody benefits from that. So it's hard to be a criminal who controls the city if there's no city. So this is your classic opportunity to draft in bad guys and villains for the team, for the hero roster, something they didn't really explore in Civil War, but something that they've clearly tickled us with, with having Red Skull in. And I think that was super cool. I really enjoy... uh, reappearances from characters long forgotten and I think that ones that have obviously been underexplored or maybe um, maybe not even really fully fleshed out or meaning retconning a bit but I think that there's such a, a stable of characters that you could touch on it would be a great way to shape up and fill out uh, some bodies on these super teams for the next movie Specifically, I really would like to see that gray husk of vision that we see at the end when his gems been ripped out. Now that that body, that synthetic being, was really fueled by the, the Mind Stone. I mean, sure, he had a way to like remove it, given that lengthy process. We can see the level of it separating the things. But 
like if the the layman were to reach in and crush it and just pull it out of his head, then it would kill him. His body can no longer function anymore. So you need a way for it to function without Infinity Stone. So I gather and I suggest that they download, or you know, I'm sure from somewhere they can recreate or something, Ultron into Vision's body. So now he would essentially be the same as he was. I mean, he would reform and heal so the machine would be fine, or he'd build himself a new body. So chances are he's going to look like either Grey Vision, which is a comic book phenomenon, or some cross-hybrid of the two. I'm fine with either, but I would like to see um, Ultron's ability to wage war on a global scale put to use helping the heroes battle something that's clearly larger than them. So Ultron's able to control the global missile systems and concentrate this, and I mean, he's got that weird, like, telekinetic ability to, like, lift rocks and stuff. He's extremely powerful in his own right, and I think you're essentially downloading an AI into a body of vision. So, which AI do you want to choose? You want to choose the one that's super good at fucking waging war, that it took all the Avengers and he, you know, rock-falled a planet, sorry, a city onto, I guess, a larger part of the city when he made that Sokovia comet. So, I mean, he's he's got the ability to maybe create complicated plans, but he's got the ability to plan to defeat enemies, and he's got the raw fighting ability. I mean, hand-to-hand, he went with Steve Rogers, and, I mean, against Thanos, provided he's attacking alongside other people. I mean, that's really going to help. I feel like a lot of the villains will lend themselves well to coming back. I mean, people like, obviously, the Vulture is, is very likely to return for, I don't know, we'll cut away to the prison, and it's a riot because half the guards and inmates are gone, and he leaves, and boom, he's in the Vulture suit. Um, I think, I don't know if he's dead, but I think Whiplash would be cool. See him come back, uh, get his suit. I love that kind of shit. I think it really uh, introduces a good layer of connective tissue that sometimes feels strained when you have that interconnectedness and that universe and you, you get that all the work together. Um, yeah. So those are the thoughts. Nothing, as I said, nothing too specific, but if you guys have any suggestions or any villains that you think might be good when they start batting for the heroes, I'd love to hear it. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll talk to you later.